Hello, welcome to the Healthy for Men podumentary series. My name's Tom Rowley. I'm the editor of Healthy for Men magazine. Before we get going, just a quick partnership announcement. This episode is brought to you by Bounce Foods. Now, Bounce's mission is to inspire positive change in the way people eat, think, and live, which is what the Healthy for Men podumentary series is all about. If you haven't tried Bounce Balls before, they're full of high-quality protein, high-quality vitamins and minerals, and they're great for when you're on the go and you need a quick snack. There's also a vegan option called V-Life, which are made from almonds and plant protein. Super tasty, super convenient. Grab a Bounce Ball from any Holland and Barrett store throughout the UK or visit bouncefoods.com for more information. Hello, thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Healthy for Men podumentary series. My name's Tom Rowley. I'm the editor of Healthy for Men magazine. And in this bonus episode of the Healthy for Men podcast series, we share the full interview with author of Stranger on the Bridge, Johnny Benjamin. Now, if you haven't heard of Johnny before, Johnny's story is truly incredible. In 2008, Johnny went to end his life, but fortunately was talked down by a complete stranger. Now, we really appreciated Johnny coming in and opening up so candidly about this story and really going into everything that happened leading up to this event and what got him into such a dark place. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and it helps give you a more well-rounded uh, and empathetic look at mental health conditions. Johnny Benjamin, thank you so much for coming in uh, and speaking with us. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. So your book, The Stranger on the Bridge... It's fantastic. It's fantastically written. It's really candid, really personable, and uh, it's just a fascinating story. Um, so I thought we could start with, if you could just tell us the story, really, from right from the beginning. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I guess the story starts when I was really young, when I was a kid. Um, so my mental health issues started yeah, when I was, I'd say, probably like four or five started saying things that weren't there. Um, was taken to a child psychologist when I was that age and, um, just continued. Uh, when I was 10, I started to uh, hear a voice in my head, started, I was having delusions. And then in my mid teens, things got really bad and I started having depression as well. And that was, yeah, that was really tough. But I, um, the trouble was I didn't, I didn't really have the language. I didn't know how to talk about it. I, I didn't, I was scared. I was embarrassed. So I kind of, um, tried to get on with things and try to block it out and, you know, uh, just, just tried to deny it essentially. Um, but when I, I went off to university, I, I'm from London. I went off to university in Manchester. And when I was in university in Manchester, um, that's when everything just kind of, uh, came to a head and had a breakdown, um, became really unwell and I was put into hospital. Um, and I was, diagnosed with something called uh, schizoaffective disorder, which is schizophrenia and bipolar, combination of the two. Um, and essentially that's when I gave up, when I got that diagnosis, um, because I just it felt like a kind of life sentence and I just, uh, well, I just didn't see how I could ever recover, essentially, it just seemed impossible. So um, I ran away from the hospital, um, and I went to this bridge. Um, I just, I just thought it was the best thing, not just for me, but you know, for 
uh, particularly my parents. Um, it was just kind of hopeless. It was really hopeless. And I just thought it was best for, yeah, everyone if I wasn't here anymore. So I went to this bridge and then I, I went onto the edge of this bridge and then um, this stranger uh, came along and started talking to me. Um, it took me a while to engage with him. I didn't, I just didn't want to, I just didn't want him there. He was interrupting my plan, you know? So it took me a while to engage with him, but eventually I did. And it was him really. He was incredibly um, grounded and calm and, and really patient and very um, empathetic, you know? Um, I just, especially being another guy, I don't know what it was. It was just, he, I just had this connection with him. Um, and I felt I could open up to him and I hadn't had that with anyone before. And I really did open up to him. Um, and he said two things that I remember that really kind of just struck a chord with me. The first thing he said was, don't be embarrassed. You don't need to feel embarrassed. And um, I didn't, no one had said that to me before. Never heard that before. Because I think the main, well, I know the main reason I was there was this um, just overwhelming embarrassment about uh, everything in my head. Uh, my diagnosis. I was struggling with my sexuality as well. And, you know, being, I'm, I'm Jewish and being gay and Jewish, it, it didn't really sort of fit back then. Um, so there was a lot going on and I was, I was, I was really embarrassed. So just for someone to kind of say, yeah, don't feel embarrassed. That was really powerful for me to hear. But the real key thing he said was actually very simple. He said to me, I think you'll be all right, mate. You know, I think you'll get better. Um, and no one had said that to me before in the hospital where I was, um, it was, it was a really like negative outlook. Uh, my psychiatrist was kind of like, we don't know if Johnny's going to get better. And it was just, yeah, it was, but this guy just, um, he's so positive. He just had this real positive, um, outlook and I don't know. I just, I needed to hear that from someone. And so eventually he convinced me to go for a coffee with him. And, and I did, I wanted to, I felt, as I said, I had this connection and I got off the edge of the bridge and I went onto the pavement and, um, I didn't know, but there was police kind of waiting, uh, for me a bit further down and police just charged out and grabbed me and, uh, they took me away and they, I was sectioned and that's the last time I saw that guy. Well, f for a while, uh, I was taken away, I was sectioned, I was put back into hospital and my my journey changed really after that because I did have some hope. I did have, I did feel more positive. You know, I, I, I don't know, his words uh, really affected me and what he did. Um, and I, it, it took, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. It did take a long time to, uh, really get back on track if I'm honest. Um, years and years to finally talk about it and to finally, I started making YouTube videos. That was my thing in my mid twenties to, um, yeah, to, to, to kind of get rid of that embarrassment and that it was easier talking to the camera than looking into someone's eyes. So, um, I started making YouTube videos and that helped me. And I finally started to talk finally. And that was the big difference when I started to talk, you know, and I started to tell people like, I've got mental health issues. I'm gay, uh, massive. It was like a weight off my shoulders. It was massive, massive. And it was then that I started to feel more myself and, when I felt more myself, um, I launched this campaign to find that stranger on the bridge. Um, 
which kind of went but went viral it was it was yeah it was really surreal very very surreal um and the amazing thing was we found him i didn't think that we would find him but through facebook he came forwards and um we were, we were reunited and yeah ever since then it's been a really remarkable journey together um we we work together now and uh we we go over the, all over the world really going into schools and prisons and, and hospitals and businesses to to talk about mental health and to empower others to talk about mental health and uh i'm really i'm really lucky really lucky with this journey i still get ill you know i still and and in the book i i don't kind of sugarcoat it uh, you know i'm pretty pretty honest uh, about you know the fact that i still i still struggle and i still need to every day look after my mental health and and if i don't then it goes wrong and i get ill again i have to go into hospital so i still struggle but things are different now things are different and that's the big difference is i talk about it that's the big difference and i i i i admit that you know i've got got these things in my head and i need to kind of yeah manage them and, and that's that's mm -hmm. the big difference i mean it's such a beautiful story it really is an uh, incredible journey so now you're you, you talk about it a lot is is the main platform for you talking about it is it to people with potential mental health problems or do you have friends as well that you now you open up a lot more to them everyone really I, like i talk about mental health probably 90 percent of my time and i don't know some people might think that's too much and you know it's but for me i think when you've been quiet about something for such a long time you've had to hide something for such a long time and finally you can you can finally talk about it. You just don't want to stop talking about it. And now everything I do really is motivated by helping others to talk, you know? So I talk to people, yeah, with, with absolutely with, you know, mental health issues with, with, with their families, you know, that's a lot of the time, the whole, you know, there's a lot of focus on, on people with mental health issues, but their families, their, their, their loved ones, people don't talk about that enough. The effect it has, it had a, massive effect on my parents particularly and it was really hard but we don't talk about that and then uh yeah i just i talk to everyone really you know we do we go in and we give talks in different sort of um industries like construction industry and that's a real quite macho industry and um you know it, it's interesting some people still have the view of you know uh, mental health issues you know they're all in people's heads or people just need to get over them or uh, pull, pull your socks up, get on with it. Yeah, people still have those views, but you, it's they're not. They're just it's just about education, isn't it? Education and uh, empathy. But you know, I, I don't think that. Um, I think people are scared. I think people are scared. That's what I tell myself. People are scared that it will happen to them. You yeah. know, that they'll lose their minds, and and people are scared of going there. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, you mentioned sexuality earlier. It seems to be that you could now, if this was. I don't know, however long ago, you could be talking about sexuality now, the way you're talking about mental health, that kind of stigma. Do you find that dealing with, you know, you mentioned about your, your family, your, your Jewish background, do you find that it's helped you deal with, open up about mental health and, and sort of strengthened you in a way? Yeah, I mean, I'm so lucky again. I, you know, I've got an amazing family and, and support network around me. And I think coming from like, coming from a community like the Jewish community, like it's got its strengths and it's, you know, uh, not so good points. Um, I think the strength in community is, or yeah, community is community. Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, 
it's a really strong, my community is a really strong community, really strong, really tight knit. But at the same time, you know, um, they don't like to deal with certain things like mental health or like sexuality, things that are difficult to deal with, things that we don't know enough about. You know, back in like 20 years ago, we, we, we didn't talk about cancer so much. Did we, I remember people used the, like the C word. Do you know what I mean? Like people wouldn't, were scared to talk about cancer. And now look at, you know, years later, we, unfortunately we have to talk about it a lot, a lot more. And people do use the word cancer now. They're less afraid to talk about it. Um, but things like mental health, which are still kind of coming out of the shadows, but still a bit in the shadows, that still people just do not want to, yeah, do not want to go there. Um, and uh, I think it will, it's going to change. Our young people now are are going to a lot of schools and young, pe- young people are so much more open, just really open and honest and like, yeah, I struggle. And kind of, I don't know, that they've got an amazing community. Like the young people I find... Um, a much more a kind of empathetic and supportive and accepting of of, uh, of other people. That's interesting. Do you know why that is at all? Um, well, I think, so, I mean, you know, looking at the older generation, especially in this country, we've got this real stiff upper lip, haven't we? You know, um, pull your socks up and get on with it. And, you know, or you shouldn't be feeling like that or just, just bury it. Do you know what I mean? Like, Again, I, I talk to older people. We do we do talks where we talk to older people, and they're much they're much less engaged. I know I'm generalising, but they're much less engaged, and you can tell they're uncomfortable talking about it because they're not used to talking about it. Um, whereas young people now are really exposed to it, you know. And, and you know, it's great. We've got lots of uh, high profile people talking about it. You know, Stormzy recently talked about it. I mean, just recently, Mariah Carey was opening up about having bipolar. That's huge. Like we've got these role models now, haven't we? That, that, that are really not afraid to, to talk about it and not just talk about it, but show that you can have great lives living with mental health issues. Whereas I think, you know, for the older generation, you didn't have that, those role models and, and uh, you know, you had other things instead, like, you know, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was was really big. I don't know if, did you see that? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, I think it's a great movie, mm. but uh, it's... Um, uh, yeah, th- thinking about it now, I've not thought about it in that context, but uh, do you think that's bad for, for stereotypes having that kind of focus on a mental health asylum? Yeah, I mean, I, I know you have, to, you have to be realistic and I know that's probably what it was like, but it's not exactly, it's, it's, it's kind of scary and it's not hopeful and it's like you'll never recover. The message of, of that film is like, it's, 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 it's I, was, I won't swear, but really really hopeless that film that I mean, it's really interesting I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a really fantastic piece of, 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 of film but it's so hopeless that film isn't it and that was the film that you know when I talk to older people that film kind of defines mental illness for them what, what mental illness means to them is oh yeah well I saw one floor of the cuckoo's nest and, and you know that's it's, it's, it's frightening and it's awful and I'm I'm like no you know it doesn't have to be that way so I think but now as I said yeah young people are exposed to, you know, more po- positive and hopeful mm. kind of yeah. side to it. That's fascinating. I'd, I'd not thought of it like that before, but yeah, now, now I, I can see it in that context. That definitely yeah. see how that would work. But things are changing. Yeah. yeah. Things are changing. Definitely. So The Stranger on the Bridge, now you, you're both working together. Do you know, I suppose you, you know more now, how did he know to say what he said or why did he say what he said? 
Yeah, it's, uh, he often gets asked that question. Um, and in his own words, he uh, he just says he was being human. You know, he didn't he didn't know he's not, he didn't. So he worked as actually he worked as a personal trainer, and um, he says actually that helped him because actually in his work as a personal trainer, he people were opened up to him actually quite a lot. You know, while they were doing exercise or. It wasn't just about the body, actually, but they did talk about their, their, what was going on for them, their thoughts and their feelings. So he was used to, you know, talking to people about those areas. But for him, he says, yeah, he was just, he just felt compelled to, he just couldn't walk away. He felt compelled to go over and he didn't know what to say. You know, in his own words, he was kind of clueless, but uh, he used his instinct. That's what he says. He used his instinct, really, and just kind of his, his human nature and just... Um, Asked, asked different questions and tried to, he tried to distract me, tried to be funny. Um, he, uh, he, he just tried everything basically. Um, and he had no idea where he was going with it. He, he, yeah, he had no idea, but he, I guess, yeah, he used his instinct. Um, and anyone can do that, you know, anyone, anyone can, we can all do that. Um, again, I think it's fear, isn't it? You know, I think it's fear that holds us back and we're going to say the wrong thing. And, Absolutely. You know, yeah, yeah. But I always say to people, you know, you just, just use your, your instinct. Just, you know, you're not going to say something that's, unless you're, no, you, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't just, and, and again, a lot of it is listening. It's so much of it is listening. And I've learned now over the years, how, how important listening is. Neil, Neil always says you've got, you know, two, two ears, two of these and, and one mouth and, you know, use them in that order. Neil is, uh, okay. Neil, Neil is the, the stranger on the Sorry, bridge. Sorry, yeah, Neil's yes. the stranger on the bridge. Sorry, I should have said that. No, not at all. Um, yeah, you, you use, use your two ears and your one mouth in, in, in that order, and that makes sense because I think we tend to, um, and I know I've done it, I, I, I used to do it a lot. Like when someone told me something, I'd be like, oh, well, you know, try this, or, or oh, yeah, I felt like that. And, and do you know what I mean? Whereas actually now I, I'm when people come to me, I try and just let them, have their space and speak and not interrupt and try and solve things or, or, or just, just really let them talk. And that's been really interesting. Yeah. Cause your instinct is to like, yeah, as I said, just react to it, but actually don't react to it. Just let them have their space. That's fascinating. Yeah. It's because weird. it is, isn't it? It's um, how do I react to what this person has said? How can I help fix this problem? What should I say? What's the yeah, right thing to say? What's the insensitive thing to say? Just be safe and say something, yeah. you know, but, you, but I think that's absolutely right. Just listen to someone and, and be honest with yourself and have that kind of personal integrity when you're, when you're having a conversation. Absolutely. With yeah. I think it's practice. I think, yeah. you know, it's practice. As I said, like I've learned over the, cause, cause you know, we do a lot of stuff and often people will open up to us and yeah, now I've learned to like really let people have their space and, and, and talk um, and help them to talk, you know, show active listening and non-judgment and, and kind of, um, yeah, let them encourage them, encourage them to, 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 to really talk. And, you know, as I said, when Neil said to me, don't be embarrassed and, you know, nothing to be embarrassed or frightened of that, that was a kind of, um, gateway to me, a, a gateway for me to open up. So, you know, doing that with other people as well, I think is helpful. So you've, I can imagine you've told this story quite a few times now. Yeah. How does it feel talking about it? Um, it's still, you know, I don't think it's still hard at times. It's still, you know, you have to go back to sort of that place kind of not, you know, entirely, but you still have to go back to that place. And 
remember what it was like in a way, but it's, it's different. You know, I, I have a sort of, a, a, you know, I'm not in that place anymore. If I was in that place, then I probably couldn't, I couldn't talk about it, but I'm not in that place anymore. And hopefully uh, um, I won't be for, for some time or ever again. But um, um, so that helps because I've got some separation from it, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, that helps. But yeah, still, you know, it's still a lot. So with, with this book, with the book, I had to go through all my old diaries and I wrote a diary since I was like, yeah, 12 or something. So, and I wrote a diary for many years and going through all my old diaries was, that was hard because uh, you forget, you you forget how, or I forgot how, how absolutely shit things were in my teenage years. Um it was it was really sad when I was reading my diaries and just kind of I thought you know in my diary I wrote constantly how I thought I was crazy and insane and you know we're really crazy um and uh yeah I kind of forgot how how much I suffered I think you know you you put it to, of course you do you put it to the back of your mind so that was hard reliving that um yeah, but as I said, I've got some separation from it now, and um, I had to just have to look forwards. You can't, you know, have to look forwards. And there is so much that uh, I want to do and want to achieve, and um, so that 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 you know, I keep I keep looking forward to that, and that makes the difference. Yeah, I and mean, that's what is inspiring for other people, I think, as well. So, what did you have planned for your future? Would you hope uh, for your future? Um, gosh, wow, well. I really want to, my big focus is, is young people and uh, been working in schools now for yeah, a couple of years. And we designed a, a mental health workshop in schools, um, which has been going for yeah two years. It's, it's called Thinkwell. And um, that's in secondary schools. And, and now we're doing something for primary schools. We're doing something for parents, teachers. So that's really exciting. And I really, I want to get mental health embedded into the curriculum. You know, well, so we can talk about it in different subjects, history, science, English. Um, so that's that's one area. And then it's quite ambitious, isn't it? Mm. I mean, I hope that would happen. Do you think do you think it will? Well, it has to. Uh, yeah, it has to. The amount of young people that are struggling, that are under huge amounts of pressure. Um, and not just young people, the amount of people my age or our age um that, you know, struggling or, 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 or talk to me about, you know, their, their mental health and they wish at school that they would have got something, something, you know. Um, so it has to happen. It, ha it, ha it has to happen. Um, we know that three quarters of all mental health issues begin in adolescence. So come on, it's, 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 it needs to change. It needs to, the system, the, it's, it's too much pressure. It's too much pressure on, on young people, on teachers, on parents. And it's, yeah, it has to change. So I'm, I, hopefully it will, but then there's other areas as well, like looking at global health on a more kind of, what did I just say? Looking at, men yeah. Global health. Sorry, looking at mental, sorry, sorry. <laughs> looking at mental health on a more global scale. That's what I'd like to, I did some work in India a couple of years ago, working with young people and uh, wow, like, there's so much that, that needs to change. Like I saw people in cages, people chained up. Um, yeah, for having mental health issues, it was, sh it was shocking. It was really shocking. Um, this is what goes on in, in other countries. And it's not, again, it's not talked about. Um, 
the the way that people treat mental health issues in 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 lots of other countries around the world. It's just a lack of education and understanding. I mean, that sounds demonizing, doesn't yeah. it? Rather than just just stigma, that's yeah. a, a very extreme. Yeah, absolutely. But it, it happens, and we kind of I feel like we ignore it. Um, so that's something that would really like to focus on because it's yeah, it was it was a really eye opening trip when I went there and. Um, when you see people, helpless people like that, you know, just honestly, the, seeing them in cages and, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was, you, you have to do something. You just have to do something about it. Um, so that's something that, yeah, really trying to focus on as well. So there's lots, there's lots, um, lots, lots, lots to do, lots to do. I mean, huge amounts to do. There's so much more like research and treatment needs to be better when it comes to mental health. There needs to be more options. Uh, again, things like funding and, oh my gosh, there's so much to, to do in terms of getting mental health kind of, I guess the ultimate aim is to get mental health to the same point where physical health is, you know, where we, we, we take things like obesity very seriously and, you know, there's a big focus on that, but where's that focus on things like suicide and, and you know, other other health health dangers. So we're not there yet where mental health is treated the same as physical health. And so that's, I think we, we, we need to get to that. And so that's something that we just have to keep sort of working on. It's fascinating when you think about it, isn't it? Because mental health, I think I'm convinced is, is more important than physical health in a way. If you're if obesity, as, as an example, if you're obese, but your mental health condition is great and you're happy, then surely that situation is, is, is so much better. Um, yep. But if you're yep. well in body and mind, if you're a bodybuilder, if you're an athlete, but you're depressed, that's the worst situation to be yeah, in. It's absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I don't know why we separate. We, we seem to separate our minds and our bodies, you know, like... Dualism, isn't it? That old, yeah. old term. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're connected. We're all one. You know, I don't know why we have this. I think one day we'll just have health. We won't even have mental health, physical health. It's just health because, yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, the brain, it's the brain. And I don't know, people, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is why people just seem to want to separate them. The brain is an organ, isn't it? Just like the heart and the lungs and the liver. And, you know, again, like things like um, a heart, we always, there's so much kind of look after your heart and, and um, we do so much to, to, to look after that. Or even, you know, Neil, again, because Neil was a personal trainer, he often talks about how, you know, if you go into gyms, you know, look at all these positive images of people, you know, who are, who are physically fit and healthy. But then if you, you know, you talk about mental health or you see images, it's usually people that have got their heads in their hands and, you know, um, look really, it's, it's negative visions of ne ne negative images of mental health. Mm -hmm. He often talks about that. Um, and it's so true. Um, we really do prioritize physical health. And yet, yeah, as you say, we're... we're we're one, aren't we? We're connected. So that, again, is something that really needs to shift. You have a really interesting uh, chapter in your book about relationships. Could you kind of elaborate on that really and tell us what you think is important about relationships for mental health? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a very good expert. I'm not a very good uh, role model. Um, but I mean, I've really struggled with uh, relationships over the years. And it's something that I still, um, yeah, really struggle with. It's something that, you know, I'm working on in therapy at the moment. Um, 
for me, it's kind of things like paranoia and insecurities uh, that, that come up even more when you're in a relationship. So uh, is that paranoia, jealousy, paranoia about? Yeah, or, you know, um, I was date. Oh, well, I was kind of started to date someone recently and uh, uh, it was all going well. But then I was started to be like, you know, he'd send me, send me things, send me messages like, oh, um, um, I was meant to be meeting him and, and he'd say, um, oh, I'm at my parents and they don't want me to go. They want me to stay. I might have to stay. And I'd be like, right, well, you know, it's fine. You don't want to see me then, then fine. He's like, no, no, I do want to see you. Like, I just, I'm just saying my parents want me to stay. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I know you're trying to tell me that you don't want to see me. And do you know what I mean? Like misreading, misreading things. And, um, I guess, yeah, but insecurity about myself and paranoia that he, and then you, you build up the insecurity because it's like now he's going to, because he's seen that side of me and now he's really not going to like me and now he's really going to be put off. And uh, it's just a kind of um, vicious, vicious circle, really. Um, so, yeah, I've really struggled with, um, again, I mean, you know, my the first guy that I was really probably with, again, I talk about it in the book, he, I... I had a panic attack and uh, because I was going through a difficult time with anxiety then I had a panic attack and he was just kind of like, we like, it's so silly. Like what are you doing? And I was like, okay, we're not compatible. Like, yeah, I think again, it, uh, this, this kind of lack of empathy sometimes for, 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 for mental health, not because people were malicious just because people just don't want to go there they just don't want to yeah don't want to go there so I've yeah I've I've I've, I've found that really difficult over the years um and I still yeah it's something I still struggle with and uh I don't know I'm trying to focus more on myself and 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 uh be more okay with myself which is hard um but yeah I'm having this therapy at the moment called CFT which is compassion focused therapy oh wow really interesting so it's, uh, you know, I've had a lot of therapy before, things like CBT. Um, but CFT is, uh, yeah, very much focused on kind of more holistically. Um, so very much focused on, you know, how you feel about yourself, your relationship to yourself. Um, and I, oh my gosh, in my, throughout my 20s, I was so hard on myself and really at times kind of loathed myself and it's a horrible place to be. But this is all about, yeah, developing some kind of, yeah, kindness to yourself and some self-compassion and forgiveness and acceptance and all of that. And that's that's hard, but it's really useful. It's really useful. It's fascinating to hear uh, that there's a practice that is about sort of self-love essentially and, and forgiving yourself. So can I ask how, how does that work in practice? Mm. So, well, I mean, in therapy, so I'm, I'm having this therapy at the moment and in therapy... Uh, we'll do things like we'll, um, there'll be different chairs that are set out and, and I'll go into one chair and I'll be my self-critic and I'll be kind of talking about how, yeah, how I'm angry at myself or how um, I disrespect myself and talking at the, talking from the place of the self-critic. And then I go into another chair and it's self-compassion and I try and talk to myself from the point of, yeah, uh, being kinder to myself and forgiving myself and understanding why um, I'm uh, understanding why there's that self-critic and trying to build a relationship with it. It all probably sounds a bit, um, I don't know, it might sound a bit kind of like uh, airy fairy to some people. For me, 
I don't know. I, I can, I, I, I think the therapist, well, I've got an amazing therapist that helps, but, and it did feel weird at first, I guess, getting into different like roles, like your self-critic and your self-compassion, compassionate self. Um, but I kind of got used to it after a while and it really did help to talk from those different places. Um, and t- especially to talk from the point of, you know, self-compassion and self sort of love. Yeah. It's, um, and so now I'm, I try and do that actively. So, and this is going to sound silly, but you know, I'll be out somewhere and I'll be like, oh, I can't even say it. Um, I'll be like, I love you, Johnny. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, uh, or, uh, I will, there's things like soothing touch where you like just the kind of, you know, rub your arm or you even hug yourself and trying to incorporate things like that. Or, um, something that I've been trying to do for a long time and I, I do do it sometimes it's a self-compassion log so every night you know before you go to bed it's like three things that you like about yourself and you know it could be anything from uh, I, I held a door open today for this person or um uh I like my my sensitivity do you know what I mean like so keeping that log it also is is really useful there's different things you can do and it does it works well for me it's it's working I mean, understanding the mechanics of something like CBT, it sounds completely functional, you know? I mean, it might, as you say, it might on the face of it sound a bit airy-fairy when you use the the words. But no, when we think about it, it's completely practical, I think, and and really important for a lot of people who are um, constantly concerned with how other people are acting and how other people are are responding to you. So to have that introspective time, uh, I think it's really important. It's great. And I'd love to look into that further and and share some of that with our audience as well. Well, I think just to say, I think especially now the age that we live in because of things like social media, I mean, you know, I'm always comparing myself, you know, like Instagram, like, oh, you know, look at them with their, I don't know, uh, 300 likes and you know um what, what is it about them that people like more than me do you know what i mean like go through these kind of um comparing yourself yeah, to, yeah. and 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 yeah and, and having that time to have some self kind of reflection is is and some self-connection it's really important has social media the digital age in general had a, a f- effect on your mental health at all yeah massively Massively, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I find it hard, if I'm honest, sometimes. Like, um, I'm on, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, yeah, I find it, find it hard. The, the hardest thing I, I find is, is obviously, negative, negative, negative responses. And um, uh, I, got into, I got into a, a Twitter argument with Piers Morgan uh, a few years ago. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow, he was he was he was on there, and he was talking. He, he often says a lot of uh, um, quite negative things about mental health, yeah, uh, which is frustrating. But he was saying, uh, you know, people with schizophrenia are violent, and I obviously went back and I said that's completely untrue. Evidence shows that it's completely untrue, and we started this this Twitter this Twitter argument that just went on and on, and uh, eventually, you know, his followers started to sort of attack me. Um, and you know, just realizing how much stigma there still is out there. Cause sometimes I'm in a bubble, you know, I, I go out there and I work in different mental health charities and, you know, there's a lot more acceptance and Mm. then, you know, there's obviously a whole other world where people still are stigmatizing and, 
And that's hard to read sometimes, some people's views and comments. and Especially people with such a huge platform yeah. who are not experts at all in the no. subject. Uh, it, it's disgusting, actually. Yeah, it, it is. But unfortunately, they do. They have that platform. They have that platform yeah. and, and they air these views. And um, But again, luckily now we're in an age where people fight. People fight against that. Mm. Now people aren't just going to take that. People, you know... They they're gonna stand up and actually say this isn't right. It's just, it's not it's not fair. This isn't mm. this isn't right. And and people are doing that now, which is which is great. But I think that's that's the downside is 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 the negative is the negative comments. And I often get them on my YouTube videos, you know, uh, because I I guess I don't, you know, I guess if someone sees me or sees me, then you know, oh, they, he looks alright. Do you know what I mean? He looks he looks fine and. Mm. But um, obviously you don't know what goes on in someone's head, you know, that's the thing. And uh, um, yeah, people will sometimes be quite, quite kind of like, quite negative. Um, and that's, that's been the hardest thing. Is it suspicious? Um, yeah, I guess. Well, actually, do you know what? This is really interesting. Um, in 2013, I think, 2013, I got on my YouTube stuff, I got a, I got a troll. And this trial, like, oh, it was like constantly messaging me all these horrible, horrible things, horrible things. You know, you should kill yourself and all sorts of things. Uh, but, but, um, at first I responded to it and I, I, I tried to sort of, but then I realized there was no sort of, there's no point, there's no reasoning. But I stopped responding to it after a while. And then a few months later, this person emailed me and they said, I'm really sorry. Like I was in a really bad place and I saw you wow. and you know, you looked like you were doing well and I was jealous. It was really kind of like, wow. Like that's fascinating. Yeah. Isn't it? So I guess it's a similar thing, you know, with um, people that are homophobic, sometimes people that are homophobic, the most homophobic are actually maybe gay themselves or, or struggling with their own sexuality. And so, you know, could be the same for... Or just suppressed in some other way. Exactly. And they, they see people, exactly. you should be suppressed too, you know? Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's fascinating. It's a really good point about about the, the troll that kind of came out to you uh, as someone who was having a hard time. Mm. Um, you must have a large following of people who back you up and to, who support you and to perhaps fend off uh, other yeah. trolls and, and things like that. But um, I think from hearing you talk, really you come from a place of compassion and, and understanding. And I think to really have a dialogue, it is, as you say, it's really important to understand why people are creating this negative space and why they're hating so much. And yeah. um, that's the only way you can possibly engage with them. But it must be quite frustrating though at the same time. Yeah, it is. It is especially, yeah, again, you know, this, 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 digital age that we live in where everyone can air their views and, mm. and um, I think you have to pick your battles. I think you have to pick your battles. I mean, you know, imagine someone like Trump, you just can't seem to reason with someone like Trump, can you? You see the way that he acts on social media and uh, or actually, you know, um, on a more personal level, I got <laughs> uh, Katie Hopkins, um, she, uh, when, when, uh, so the documentary around this story uh, of the guy that, you know, stopped and me trying to find him, when that documentary went out on Channel 4 uh, in 2015, um, the night it went out, she tweeted, uh, I wish, I wish that guy would have just jumped. Um, I'm sick of seeing these adverts for the documentary. 
and um can't say i'm surprised but nah, still you know but that's that's what i mean like um so you know everyone around me was like oh that's disgusting and i'm gonna i'm gonna send a, a message and you should i said no i'm not i'm not because that's what they want they want you know talk about feeding the trolls they want that mm -hmm. some people i think like haiti probably just just do it for maybe attention and actually professor green then got involved and then it sort of i was like i'm just i'm not getting involved in this um and so yeah it's about picking picking your battles i think it really is because you can i mean if uh, if you look at katie hopkins like twitter timeline i could i could argue against every single one of her tweets as and they'd get me really worked up but you know, then I'd say to myself, well, it's not worth it because that is what, that is what they want. Whereas, you know, there are certain people that, um, you know, maybe you can, you can sort of talk around or, but it's hard, it's hard, it's hard, uh, especially online. It's hard to, I've realized it's hard to actually, there's a lot of angry, passionate kind of people online and it's really hard to, mm -hmm. to, to get through to them online whereas yeah. in person obviously when you talk to someone it's maybe a little bit different but you, it's about picking your battles absolutely yeah yeah so the battles that you should pick i suppose are the ones with people who are mistaken i guess yeah yeah again i think it's so hard sometimes to i think what what i realize now is that it's strength in numbers you know strength in numbers mm -hmm. Um, fortunately, you know, there's a good sort of mental health community online. So when, um, I, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, um, Asda bought out these Halloween costumes and they had things like, um, psycho across it and, um, uh, mental patient outfits that look like something from Hannibal Lecter. Okay. Like a straight jacket. Yeah. Kind of thing. Okay. And they were called, they were called mental, mental, mental costume. Uh, <laughs> And um, what was amazing was the reaction from like the mental health community. They they managed like in just a few hours when they released these costumes. In a few hours, they managed to get the stores to take them out, take them mm -hmm. down, apologize, um, send a large donation to mental health charity Mind. So, just goes to show you the power of 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 you know numbers. And I yeah. think it's it is hard to do things alone. I've realized that now. It's really hard to fight when you're on your own, but if you can do things in numbers, then mm. that makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a really beautiful to see that happen as well. Mm. People getting together and, and creating some sort of positive yeah. change. Yeah. Um, so as, as a kind of final point, really, would you be able to tell people who might be listening, who are suffering from uh, depression or anxiety, can you give them some kind of advice or, or, or reassurance as to what they should do about their situation? Yeah, of course. I mean, I guess the first thing is, you know, not to feel embarrassed and, and ashamed. Um, and uh, yeah, to, for them to know that they're absolutely not alone. You know, you can feel like you, you're the only person in the world with these thoughts and these feelings, but my God, you're, you are, you're so not alone. Actually, it's, it's more human and more common to experience those those things than, than you think. I think, um, you know, I always say to people that the best thing to do is to talk, but it's hard, it's hard, especially for the first time. And I often say to people to write things down or write a letter, actually write a letter to the person that you want to talk to the most uh, about what's going on and, and write that letter and just say everything you want to say and just get everything out. And sometimes that can give you the sort of, motivation and the confidence to then go to that person and just say what's going on 
but yeah, know that you're not alone and that, uh, you know, there's, there's a massive wealth of information and support and advice like online. Um, there's, there's so many different things now. Like, uh, there's a group called mental health mates that meet all over the country and go on walks together and, 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 you know, act as a kind of community. Um, you know, there's all the different other charities like mine, like rethink that can offer, um, loads of different services, actual, actual face-to-face services, like art therapy and, and music therapy. And I always say there's something that works for everyone. Um, sometimes you go to the GP and you might just get, oh, you can have this or nothing else, but you know, go elsewhere and find out what else is on offer, you know? Um, cause a lot of these services are, again, they're all over the, all over the country and they do offer a range of different things and you'll find your people, you know, find your people. I think that's, that's really key. Uh, I'm lucky that now, you know, I've got a, a group of people and we have like a mental health WhatsApp group and it's great because, you know, um, people say when they're struggling, but people say when things are going well, when they're feeling really positive and that's such a, helps me to then kind of, you know, help, helps me. So finding your people is, is, is really important. Um, and just knowing that you can overcome it really, um, yeah, I can't, if there's any message, it's that. It's, you know, you can, I think you can overcome any sort of adversity. There's a quote that I really like, which is, um, uh, the human spirit is stronger than anything that can happen to it. Um, and I think that's so true. Like people are stronger than they, than they think, you know, often, I often talk to people and they're like, I'm so weak and I'm not strong. And I'm like, you are like, people don't realize how strong they are. And, uh, there's infinite strength, I think people don't realize i completely agree do you know who that quote was from uh, do you know uh, what it's okay well we'll find right, it find we'll it. find it, it. <laughs> no it's a beautiful quote and, and yeah really powerful and i think it, I, I completely agree and it's uh, fantastic advice for people so johnny thank you so thank much you. for your time uh, this you. has been incredible conversation and your book, The Stranger on the Bridge, thank you for writing it. Thank you. Thank you for going through all that, going through your diaries and reliving all those experiences and, and going back to those places that you've been. Uh, you. It must have been really difficult, but, um, you know, it's such an important book to share. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Johnny Benjamin, what an incredible story he has to share. We really appreciated Johnny coming in and opening up so candidly about his mental health conditions. Thank you so much for downloading this bonus episode of the Healthy For Men podcast series in association with Holland and Barrett. Don't forget to pick up your copy of Healthy For Men magazine in any Holland and Barrett store throughout the UK. In this issue, we've got Jason Statham on our cover uh, and we explore the myths of nutrition. What is best for you? Should you go low fat, low carb or low calorie? The answers are in this issue, so please pick up a copy. Also, if you'd like to learn more about the issues raised today, please follow our social channels at Healthy For Men men and don't forget to pick up johnny's book the stranger on the bridge it's a truly fantastic book and goes into great detail about the esoteric nature of mental health in ways that you couldn't possibly expect so we highly recommend that thank you so much again for listening and see you next time on the healthy for men podcast series